This is the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. This is where it all counts. This is why we're here. This is why each one of us are here. And now, here's your host. Welcome back to another edition of the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. I am Paul Pertichese and excited to be joined this evening by Mr. Macaraccio and Jeff Abercrombie. Matt, how are you doing this evening? Oh, wonderful, Paul. Here we go. Let's get into it. We're getting closer. You can hear it in the distance. Draft time is on the horizon, even though we are getting almost about halfway through the actual season. Um, you can still feel those those burning desire to know where are people are going, who's the top recruits, what are we doing, where's it going? Yeah, we're recording this on Tuesday night. The first playoff rankings just came out. Obviously, a lot of attention that Cincinnati kind of get left out of the shuffle, uh, you know, but that's a, that's another topic for another day. Uh, Jeff, how are you doing this evening? I'm doing great. I mean, you know, we, we talked a little bit about this, this episode. I'm, I'm excited that today we get to do something a little bit different, but, but kind of the same, you know, so uh, I'm here with my notes. I'm prepped. Um, I'm really excited uh, on where this episode is going to go. Yeah. So what we decided to do, we're going to get right into the NFL draft report for this week. But rather than bounce around the country and talk about a lot of different guys, we focused in on three guys. And I think you can make the case these are three guys that have arguably seen their stock increase the most since September, since August. Uh, These are three players that were not in the original 2022 scouting notebook, uh, one of our premium notebooks, which has about 80 guys in it already. And these three players were not in it when I watched film and wrote up these scouting reports in the summer. These are going to be the first three players added, new players added to that as well. And I think that the three guys that have seen, like I said, their stock elevate the most. We have a quarterback, a running back, and a wide receiver. So we decided today, rather than talk about a lot of guys, we're going to do a little bit of a deep dive in these three prospects before we kind of then rapid fire through the other segments of the show like usual. We're going to be talking about Kenny Pickett, quarterback out of Pitt. We're going to be talking about Kenneth Walker, running back out of Michigan State. And we're going to be talking about wide receiver Jamison Williams out of Alabama. So why don't we start the quarterback? You know, Kenny Pickett obviously has really performed well this year. Uh, you know, he will be 24, you know, before the, if he ever steps foot on an NFL field. So obviously that's something uh, you know, a little concerning for some people, but I think less of an issue with the quarterback position. Redshirt senior, 6'2", 220 uh, this year. I mean, the stats are a little bit gaudy. 2,755 passing yards, 26 touchdowns, three interceptions. I, I had a chance to watch the games versus Clemson, Miami, and Georgia Tech. My thoughts, and then I'll bounce it over to you guys. You can chime in how you start things differently, uh, other things you saw, expand on things that I saw. But I, I thought it good size and frame, obviously. I saw average to above average athleticism and mobility to move around in the pocket. I don't think he's going to be a weapon in terms of running, but I do see enough athleticism to move around in the pocket. I would say if, if we want to comp his athleticism a little bit less than a Zach Wilson, but he has the ability to move around the pocket similar to what Zach Wilson did. I don't think he's ever going to be much of a runner, not going to be a lot of RPO concepts, but I thought his athleticism was enough to move around the pocket by time. Uh, I thought he had good arm talent in terms of, you know, arm strength and arm velocity. He can make every NFL throw. He can push the ball down the field, outside the numbers, in the tight windows. I thought his accuracy was, was probably 
average to above average, even though the stats look a little bit more gaudy. I had some concerns about inconsistent ball placement at some times. The games that I saw, he was very impressive. So I wanted to look at some other things too. So I didn't watch full games, but I wanted to watch some other things where I thought he was a little bit inconsistent with ball placement, uh, but definitely an area of improvement from past years. So his footwork was only about average mechanics, delivery, uh, He's got to be a little bit careful in terms of against pressure. I think sometimes uh, those mechanics and footwork break down a little bit, uh, but he can throw from different arm angles. He can throw off platform. He can throw on the move. He keeps his eyes downfield. Good competitive toughness. Stands tall in the pocket. Uh, willing to take a hit. Probably about average to above average going through progressions and mental processing. That he played well in big spots late in games. Talked a little bit about the inconsistencies and stuff under pressure. He's got to speed up his progressions a little bit. Uh, I don't think he's going to, like I said, impact the game with his rushing ability. His age is a little bit of a concern. I didn't see a lot of anticipatory or touch throws, which was one of the things that I, I really stood out. And he's not that dual threat, which I think is kind of in vogue, minus, you know, Mac Jones right now, uh, you know, performing really well. That's kind of been the flavor of the last couple of years in terms of the NFL eyes. I kind of put him as my QB three right now, to be honest with you. He leapfrogged like the Sam Howells and the Spencer Rattlers of the world. I didn't put him ahead of Matt Corral and Malik Willis, but he kind of jumped up there. I think he's more of a day two type guy and has the capability to be like an average starting quarterback. Uh, I didn't see franchise quarterback. I didn't see backup. I, I saw somewhere in between there. So that was kind of my take. Uh, Jeff, maybe I'll send it over to you first. Anything you saw differently? Any thoughts on Pickett? Uh What's your take on him? Because obviously, statistically, this year he's having a phenomenal year. Yeah, well, maybe just touch real briefly on statistics so people get an overview of what his his year is looking like. I mean, he's almost 70% of his passes, 2,700 yards, nine per attempt, and uh, 26 touchdown to three interception. You know, is that's, that's pretty Heisman-like numbers almost. So, like, you could say he's making a candidacy there. <laughs> now, my notes echo a lot of what you're saying there. Um, and I think the interesting thing that I got to do with Pickett is I got to take a, a, a game of his 2020 film and a game of his 2021 film. And I got a chance to see his Louisville game in 2020 and then Clemson in 2021. And I, I understand where you were saying the the mechanics can break down a little bit, especially on like the deeper drops in the pocket. He gets a little bouncy you know, his, his sort of his shoulders are, you know, not in the right alignment. They're not really pointed where they need to go. You know, they're, they're kind of going up and down. And so when he does fire the ball, he's missing high or low. And that led to those accuracy issues that you were talking about. Um, JT O'Sullivan does a great YouTube channel and, you know, he's, he's kind of highlighted those issues on Trey Lance's tape. Right. And so it doesn't mean like it's something that you can't fix and it doesn't mean you can't be a good quarterback with that. It's just, if you're wondering why maybe some throws are getting away from him, that might be, you know, one thing to look into is how's he doing. And that was kind of the nice thing is when I got to watch his 21 game against Clemson, a lot of that was really clean. He, he had a very level drops. He was really sunk in his cleats were always in the ground. He was always ready to throw. Um, so his footworks and me mechanics had been, much improved and it was something they were talking on the broadcast that was a focus of his in the off season that, that he really wanted to clean up and work on so 
you know, I'm getting one exposure from 2020 and one exposure from 2021. And I'm seeing that jump, you know, I think Paul, you probably got a few more games in. And I think that's one of those things that we'll have to actually paint a timeline of a picture to see if we're seeing growth and development or inconsistency, right? So when are those exposures happening? When are those, those games that we're watching, are we seeing growth? Are we seeing somebody kind of bounce back and forth? That's going to be one of um, the big pieces I put together when I actually go through, you know, a full scouting profile. Yeah, man, I think you make a good point there. And, and, and you're right. I didn't see a lot of that inconsistent ball placement and, and breakdowns of the, the new games, right? Cause the, the game against Miami, he was unbelievable. The game against Clemson, he was really good. The game against, uh, who was the third team that I said, uh, the game against, uh, Georgia Tech, those games, like, he was phenomenal. And those were the games I had a chance to watch. And then I, I also took a glance at, at some previous year's film, but not, like, the entire game, right, just a little bit of a snapshot. And I saw some I saw some things pop up there. Now, if it's completely cleaned up, then maybe those aren't as concerns. You know, sometimes, you know, it's hard to clean it up that quickly, but sometimes we do see a, a guy clean it up and, and, make, and make those great strides. So – I think there's a lot to like about him and, you know, Matt, I'll bring you in on this because I know we've been talking over the last couple of weeks, right? The door was ajar, like the door was wide open for somebody to emerge and somebody to kind of take the reins and, and rise up their draft stock with all the other guys falling. And it looks like, and it appears that the first guy that's making, taking advantage of that is Kenny Pickett with what, what he's done this year. I don't think people are going to be scared off by the age, the redshirt senior, not the quarterback position. I don't. I think that's something that's less of a concern if they think they can get a guy who could be a, a functional starting quarterback at the NFL level. And any thoughts here about Pickett? So, I mean, you know, I, I only had a chance to to kind of briefly go over um, Clemson and Georgia Tech to get a feel for for what I thought of him. And I actually didn't go back, you know, previously into the 2020 film, but I looked at, you know, the most recent stuff right now. And if we kind of look at it from the two standpoints that we talk about when we do, you know, unraveling skill and we talk about the compatibility of, you know, how he's solving problems on the field. And if we look at it through that lens of compatibility and, you know, essentially execution. Um, honestly, I think that he does a very nice job in terms of, meeting the demands of the play. And I think he does a great job really of, you know, when it comes to the rationality of the movement, the actual examining the quality of the technique that emerges in order to see how he sequences everything relative to the events as they change on the field. And I think that there's definitely, in my opinion, I think he does a nice job in this respect. I think he's very sensitive and aware to a variety of informational resources that he can use in order to adjust his throws. Now, if we want to put that into, you know, regular, you know, scouting terms, you would talk about arm talent and you talk about the ability for him, you know, to throw from various slots under various conditions. And, and he definitely can do that. Um, what I, what I do find very interesting about him is Paul, I, I know you talked about, you know, his ability to be, you know, the in vogue type of, you know, mover at the quarterback position. And I, I definitely agree. I don't. I don't see him as that player. However, I do think that he is rather resourceful, uh, moving in the pocket. That doesn't mean necessarily that he finds a good platform consistently. 
um, to throw the ball. But I think that's kind of part and parcel of being, you know, a dynamic player at the position today. I think that there's, you know, the ability to throw off platform as we constantly hear, um, I, I think is, is something that he can do. Um, and I, I actually love, um, I actually love his arm. I mean, his arm is, is quite strong. Um, I, I don't think it's, I don't think we're, I don't think it's a howitzer. I don't think we're talking about Justin Herbert here. Um, but I do think when you're talking about those, those types of, I want to say, you know, I, when I talk to quarterbacks that I, I work with and you talk about kind of like using a metaphor like baseball, we talk about like a changeup versus a fastball or how much should I take off of it when I'm throwing over a linebacker. Um, he has that ability to throw that fastball really quickly. Great, really nice, quick release. He's not a really long windup. And he really does, in my opinion, kind of put all those things together um, nicely when he's trying to solve problems in that intermediate to short areas of the field. I think you're right. I think along, I think classic areas, like along the sideline, deep um, rhythm throws. When he's throwing in rhythm, I think he looks fine. I think when he has to come back maybe to another read, I think he's capable of hitting the receiver, but I do think that there's a little bit to I think there's a little bit to be want to be wanting in terms of matching the trajectory of the football to the route of the receiver on those kind of secondary or tertiary kind of like routes that he's working his way through. Um but overall, I mean, I was I was I was impressed. I I do understand the hype. Uh I get it. Um I don't. I, I. I'm kind of with you on the Matt Corral discussion. I, he wouldn't jump Matt Corral for me. Um, you know, I, I. I do see the intrigue though, and I do understand the idea of he's not a starter, he's not a backup, he's somewhere in between. I can definitely see that. Um, but as kind of Jeff pointed out, it's still kind of an incomplete, an incomplete profile here. It's just kind of getting a feel, dipping our toe in the water of what we think about this player. So overall. You know, just to kind of summarize, where, where is he as a problem solver? I, I think he's, I think he has the capacity to be, you know, a quarterback at the NFL level that can solve the problems that the NFL is going to present to him. Where I do think he may struggle is kind of the things that you pointed out in terms of you have to be deftly accurate, you know, under all circumstances and adaptable under all circumstances. And, and I think there are some areas where he certainly is still kind of developing. But I was impressed. I really was that Georgia Tech game and that Clemson game. It, he he looked really good. So that's kind of where I stood on him. I totally understand the hype. Yeah, I mean, and I think when it comes down to it, you know, just to kind of you know put a pin on him is that like, yeah, I don't think I don't get vibes of he's top ten caliber. Like you know, like last year, you know, we we thought we we saw something rare and special in guys like you know. Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields and and even Trey Lance and then I even you know like when I watch Kenny Pickett I don't get as excited as what I saw from Zach Wilson in terms of the natural tools you know so I don't know if he's the, the a franchise should go top 10 but I do think even if he even if I think he has a second round grade that probably means in this draft class, he probably gets pushed up into round one, right? There's just not a, you know, like, I think I like Mac Jones more, but but it's hard to, it's hard to go back. Like, again, I haven't done a full write-up on, on Pickett yes yet. I watched way more games of Mac Jones last year than I watched of Kenny Pickett right now. And it's almost impossible not to lose sight of the fact of how good Mac Jones is look right now in the NFL. And I was not his biggest fan. And, and Jeff and I had lots of conversations and I thought it was crazy. He was going to go 
pick three. I thought he went where he should have went, which was the middle of round one. And I don't know if Pickett can get his way there. Maybe he can. Uh, but he's definitely now in the mix. I think he's now clearly going to be in the top three at the quarterback position. I'd be stunned if he's not in that. Uh, Jeff, any any final thoughts on Pickett? Or if not, why don't you kind of lead us right in to the running back that is taking college football by storm, especially this past weekend, and he's been doing it throughout this year. Well, let me go one closing thought on Pickett, and um, then I'll take us on to the running back position. But with um, with Pickett, I think I, I like how you brought up Mac Jones because that, that's kind of where my head was going when you know Matt was talking about how he was a problem solver on the field, the types of. Um, solutions that he can come up, his resourcefulness. Um, I think, you know, he is not a toolsy player, right? He's not going to have that. And I think that's what you need to get in that top 10, right? Is is he needs something that stands out, but he still is a playmaker. And I think one of the things that he does most impressive is, again, what made Mac Jones the quote-unquote most pro-ready quarterback of last year's class is he does a lot of the things that, an NFL offense is going to want to see that, you know, you don't see that that's not always there on the college quarterbacks film, or, you know, it's the working through zones and and windows and throwing in the middle of the field and layering throws. Those are things that like are on his tape. And I think that's what might have some people really impressed with Pickett because I think they see a Mac Jones like, prospect there or at least the potential to kind of be a player not in the exact same mold but a player who can do a lot of those kind of same time type of things when they come into an offense you know whereas you know we see we had this conversation about Zach Wilson who's a toolsy guy who hasn't had that right and he had a very limited profile and concerns um that we highlighted in in his you know first ability to translate immediately into an offense. So I think that's something that, you know, like, you know, do I think like Pickett could come into an offense and do better than what Zach Wilson's doing exactly right now? I think he could, but I don't know that he has quite the same ceiling because those tools aren't there. So let me take us off to Kenneth Walker, the third. All right. So I, I got three games in on, on Kenneth Walker and I got through uh, a 2020 NC State game, and then he had a five-touchdown game against Northwestern and a four-touchdown game against Miami, and and those were some of the film cut-ups that were readily available for me to go through. So let me just, you know, talk through a couple of the highlights with, with Kenneth Walker. So, you know, he had a couple uh, couple runs out there where he, he broke really long home run hits, you know, 80-yard touchdowns. I think he's got some long speed. I think it shows up more in burst than it is like a true, you know, Derrick Henry, Jonathan Taylor, Nick Chubb kind of home run threat. So I'll look at those numbers and see um, what he actually tests at. I don't, I don't think you're going to see him make 80 yard touchdowns in the NFL, but I do think he's going to be that able to get 40 or 50 or, you know, 60 yard, you know, breakaway runs. Um, get really good chunk plays. Um, but where I really liked him as a runner was I, I think he has good patience. I think he has a good plan at the exchange point. 
uh, he's got enough vision to see how the play is unfolding in front of him. And so he can, he can be patient. He can use this situational awareness. He knows when to attack. Um, and he is able to put together nuanced footwork in order to execute this plan well. So with many different patterns or, or positions or stride lengths or, you know, not everything's a jump stop. He can kind of chop step um, or he can kind of just like turn, you know, open up his hips and turn out and hit the corner. Cause he, he did a lot of that. He did a lot of press the inside and bounce out to the corner. And, and you kind of saw a lot of that on his run. Whereas, and that's kind of why I say, I think he has more burst than long speed is because he was able to get, get the corner a lot, at least on the college level. So again, questions on whether that's going to hit on an NFL field, you know, is he going to gain the corner on an NFL field? That's something I haven't fully answered, but he's doing it on the college field. And that's what you can ask for of him right now. And, you know, along with, I say with this plan, he's able to, he's really good when penetration hits the backfield too. So, you know, he's, as he's taking the exchange, he, he's already planning his footwork. He had a great carry on his final touchdown against Miami where, you know, the defender's right there at the handoff and he knows exactly what to do with his feet, exactly how to change his body, exactly where to evade the defender and then attack the space that that defender left behind. He had another one. Um, he had another rep of that too, that I'll probably actually maybe work with Matt and throw a YouTube video on that I think was just a really great exposure. And, um, you know, and finally he's, I, I kind of wrote a little, maybe like a last, a comp from maybe last year's classes, similar to Javante Williams, because you see him breaking a lot of tackles, creating a lot of yards for himself. So if you want to bring him down, you better get your body on his body. Cause if you try to wrap him, he's pulling through, he's, you know, you're, you either have to get a couple people there wrapping him up at the same time, or you got to wrap him and, and have a defender immediately supporting you or, or he'll probably break through and get more yards and, and create, and he's got good balance. So he could take, he could break that tackle and it's not just two or three yards. He has enough balance to stay on his feet and then run and attack the next defender. So that, that was all really impressive on his tape. One thing that you don't see a lot in, in, in his production is receiving work. And so I think that's something that we have to highlight as I don't know. I want to, I don't want to call it a concern, but it's not there right now. You don't see it a lot. And a lot of times we, you know, that's just a function of the offenses that they're in. So I got about four or five exposures of him catching passes. He's not an Alvin Kamara root runner or anything, but a couple things that I did really like it just, I think he has really good hand placement. Like he's able to track the ball, have his hands to, together and reach out and extend and meet the ball uh, as it's coming into him. He's not kind of cradling it into his body. So I think he can do that work at the next level. I think just, just seeing that he has a natural ability to, to receive, receive the football where I am worried though, is his pass blocking is a complete liability. And I don't think he's going to see third downs because of that. I, I mean, he, he looks really lost <laughs> And I don't think anybody's taught him how to do it. Um, 
I just don't think he's been taught how to do it. He doesn't know how to punch. He doesn't know how to push. He doesn't know how to engage a defender. He's always on his heels, and he's oftentimes just kind of like hits a gap and looks lost looking around. Um, so that could keep him from making an impact on that level of the field. And we're seeing his explode this year behind a really good offensive line, creating a lot for him as well. So a lot he does on his own, but I think you have to give a little bit of credit to the offensive line to see why he's really breaking out this year. Yeah, Jeff, I thought you did a great job there kind of displaying and and giving us a picture on who Kent Walker III is. Uh, I'll echo some of it and and add a little little bit more commentary. You hit on the two things in terms of uh, developmental areas, maybe you want to call them. Uh, You talked about he he doesn't have top and breakaway speed. You talked about pass protection. You talked about receiving abilities. Those were the, the three bullet points I had in terms of you know, things right now that I would like to see more from him, whether you want to call them concerns or developmental areas. Those are the three that stood out to me. I think he's got good overall athleticism, similar to what you said. I think his burst is good. I think his acceleration and long speed are probably average to above average. Uh, But the contact balance, fidelity, whatever we want to call it, his ability to run through contact, absorb contact, deliver contact, I think is – one of his calling cards, you mentioned Javante Williams, that name came to mind. I also saw a little bit of Alexander Madison in this kid. Uh, really tough, physical, good finishing ability. Uh, I thought he had really good leg drive, runs with good pad level. But what the thing that I think stood out the most to me was for a guy who's rocked up at 5'10", 210, was I saw some really good agility, some elusiveness, really nifty footwork, and not just the ability to one cut and get up field, because I think a lot of running backs have that, but the ability for him to stack multiple cuts on top of each other, I thought was really impressive. And something that you usually see more from smaller backs or like just like really, really special type backs like Saquon and guys like that. And I'm not saying he's at that level, but for a guy, I, I wasn't expecting until I watched the film yesterday really close. I wasn't expecting to see a guy. I, I figured I, I, I knew enough about him to know he was tough. He was physical, you know, but I didn't expect to see as many instances of him stacking multiple cuts on top of each other like that. I thought he was going to be more of a north south, one cut and go. But he shows in his toolbox that he has the ability to kind of stack cuts on top of each other. And I really think that makes him dangerous. So for me, I, I kind of classified him and looked at him as. He's got the capability to be a lead of a committee or starting running back on early downs, right? We know that the third downs are going to be an issue. Uh, I think he's probably a day two pick right now. I put him all the way up to RB3 in the class after Brees Hall and Isaiah Spiller. We've talked a lot about how this class is really, after those two, has fallen off. Like Jerry Neely hasn't been the player we thought. Kyron Williams hasn't been. Eric Gray, we've talked a lot about on this, that we really thought he was going to blossom this year, and he hasn't. So I think right now, Ken Walker deserves to be in the mix in that day two range somewhere, somewhere in round two or early round three, and potentially a third running back off uh, out of this class. So there was a lot to like about his game. I came away more impressed than I thought uh, I was going to be with him. Matt, any thoughts on Kenneth Walker? Yeah, I mean, I think you guys hit all the, the main things. I had a chance to watch two of his games. Um, 
Miami. Um, I had a chance to watch the Miami game. Uh, in addition to that, I also had a chance to watch the week one game that he had against, I'm just forgetting, uh, Northwestern. And um, those two games, I'll, I'll let go a couple of sentiments. First of all, I think when you talk about, you know, talk about runners, I, I try to, I try to think about it as, you know, what are they best suited to do, right? And I think when we try to, you know, when we talk about burst and we talk about all those things, I think I, I keep reminding myself to try to contextualize it and say, you know, where is that burst emerging? Where, where is where are we seeing it? Um, in what context? And again, just kind of getting back to that kind of problem solver lens. And, you know, I think he is a very scheme versatile back. I do not think he belongs in either a gap scheme or his own scheme. I think he can, I think he can work in any scheme. And I do think that he has the capacity to be dangerous in either scheme. Um, I, I don't see him necessarily. I wouldn't, I wouldn't say he's a zone runner or a, you know, or a gap style runner. I, I think he can equally traverse those two types of schemes very easily for many of the reasons that you gentlemen just pointed out. First of all, Paul, as you pointed out in terms of his overall agility, um, in the open field, as well as behind the line of scrimmage, as Jeff, you pointed out, I, I think he is, he's very resourceful. I think he does allow, um, for the situation to kind of evolve and emerge. And I think his movement evolves and emerge, you know, I don't think he is, you know, a guy, I mean, and I, and Jeff, I understand what you meant by, by planning. I, I do think that he, he has kind of a, a framework for what he's about to do. He, he understands what the play is going to offer and potentially as opportunities for action, but I think he's never locked in. I do think that he allows himself to adapt to the moment as it happens to in the backfield, to your point about his ability to handle penetration in the backfield. And he handles it in a variety of ways. Paul, to your point about agility, I, I think he is, he's very agile in tight spaces and, and he's equally agile. Um, outside in the open field as well. When he can stack multiple cuts, he's doing so to manipulate multiple defenders at multiple levels. So his ability to see past the first level um, is, is quite good. I do think, I do think there's going to be even more of an opportunity to see that emerge as time goes on. I, I do think he is an excellent first level runner. I do think he sees the line of scrimmage very well. I do think he sees the emergence of holes. He understands the trajectory of his blockers. He does a great job of matching to your point about patience, Jeff. I think it's that movement, understanding how your offensive linemen are moving at what speed, at what angle, understanding their own capabilities and what that offers you as a runner goes to a different level of understanding that I think really does service you well, you know, at the next level. I mean, I, I can remember um, during a summer seminar series, having the opportunity um, to talk to, you know, a former NFL offensive lineman that said to me, you know, yeah, of course we knew who was in the backfield and we knew what he'd like to do as a runner. And we were able to kind of use that, you know, as a way to understand, like, you know, I think, I think they were talking about AP at the time and they were like, yeah, if, if AP is behind you, you better, you better get your rear end out of the way. Cause he's going to write up, run right up your back. And, and the linemen along with the tight ends, along with the blocking, they understood who was in the backfield and how to do what they needed to do to get him the yards that he needed. And I, I think that, Jeff, your point about the offensive line being, you know, very um, good this year at Michigan State and offering him those opportunities, you know, I think it goes in concert with what Paul brought up in terms of his agility. I think they're just a marriage made in heaven this year. And do I think that that can translate to the next level? Yeah. 
It absolutely can, because I think that's a two-way street. I, and I think that speaks to Kenneth Walker's ability to work with his own line and understand what his own line is going to offer him as a runner and be able to exploit that on a play-by-play basis, on a moment-by-moment basis as everything unfolds. So I agree with you, both of you. I was extremely surprised that I was going to come away saying, gee, I, I think I like him. I think I like him a little bit better than Isaiah Spiller, to be honest with you. You know, I, I, I would, I would offer that the limited catching exposures, I, I'm going to say this, you're a hundred percent right, Jeff. I, he looks right now lost in pass pro from everything that I saw. Um, there's absolutely zero indication that he's comfortable, um, handling pass protection right now. Now, could that have been just limited exposures? Absolutely. So I, I won't, I won't say judgment, you know, judgment for the plaintiff. You know, I mean, I, I'm not going to go there. I mean, let's let's watch a couple more. Let's see how it evolves. Um, but right now, the exposures were 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 concerning. Um, but as a receiver, I really like him because I think when we look at the screen game, he was very fluid in transitioning in the screen game as well. You know, in a screen game, I think people forget catching the football in a screen is extremely intense. Now, it's not the same as running a route like Christian McCaffrey or Alan Kamara. But being able to, to to execute a screen pass is there's deceptive qualities to it. There's deceptive elements, change in speeds. But then there's also that that complexity, that over like kind of um, craziness that occurs when you're trying to match your speed to your lineman speed while still trying to turn around, catch the football, then be able to evaluate quickly what you have upfield, what opportunities you have for action, and then being able to execute and get some yards. So I think the screen game is sneaky in terms of requirements for running backs. And I think the screen game is a big part of what we see now more and more in the NFL as we begin to spread things out. It's, it's a, it's a, it's something that's needed. So I like him scheme versatile back, excellent agility in the open field, as well as in tight spaces. I think there's not much he really can't do. I do think pass pro is a concern. Um, I, I was very impressed. I, I'd be hard pressed not to put him. I like the Javante Williams feel, I definitely see that that feel for sure. Um, that burst in explosiveness, that long speed. You know, like I, I will never be a long speed type of guy. I, I like the fact that he can go from zero to 60 um, like a Ferrari <laughs> or, or a Porsche or whatever analogy went on you. Um, but I think what I'm, I'm most impressed with is his overall sensitivity to the types of situations and opportunities he has. I, I think he's a, a very nice nice skillful player at the position and i think he's going to immediately contribute at the next level i agree with the lead back within a committee as an immediate starting point for him so kenneth walker get the shield ready baby nfl's yeah. coming you know stock rising fast on, on kenneth walker and who knows he he can throw himself in, into the heisman mech usually goes to a quarterback but if there was going to be a running back this year you know, Walker is definitely the guy, uh, you know, who could who could have his name in the mix there or at least be in New York City as a finalist there for sure. So let's take this to the, the final guy in our deep dive here in the NFL draft report. And that is wide receiver Jamison Williams out of Alabama. He is a junior. He is a transfer from Ohio State. Uh, he was a four-star recruit coming out of high school. He's 6'2", 189. Projected 40 time is around 4.4. Uh, this is a guy who's kind of emerged. So, like, for the, the breakout age people and the market share people and the analytic community, 
They're not going to be big into Jameson Williams during the draft season. They're just, they're just not right. Because he's kind of came out of nowhere and he left Ohio state and the, the, the pushback's going to be, well, he couldn't even get, you know, consistent playing time there, et cetera, et cetera. But when I watch him on the field, I did come away impressed. I know this is a really deep wide receiver class. So I don't know where he kind of falls into the pecking order, but, you know, obviously 6'2 is good enough size. His frame is thin. You know, we've seen a bunch of guys, you know, come into the league, though, with, with a thin frame and, and it hasn't stopped them from being good, whether it's Jerry Judy, whether it's, you know, Deontay Johnson and, and other guys. Like, he, we're not talking 160 pounds here. So I, I'm not too overly worried about the frame. Uh, to me, ice are very good to great athleticism. I like his movement skills in the open field. I think he's got good long speed, burst, acceleration. He has shown this year the ability to win vertically down the field. But I also think he could be a weapon on crossers, slants, and be a weapon after the after the catch and in the open field. I thought he's a pretty good route runner with good separation quickness. Uh, I already talked about the yak ability, but I, I see cutting ability, elusiveness, and agility in the open field. I see a receiver with good ball skills and body control. Shows the ability to go up and leap for it, obviously he's not going to win contested catches with physicality or toughness. I see a good first step and explosion off the line of scrimmage. He's uh, got some return ability as well. Things that are a little concerning, he's got to show the ability to handle physical press corners at the next level, uh, the lack of physicality at the catch point. He's not going to, like I said, win many contested catches. It's only one year of production. Uh, he's got to expand his route tree and, and diversify it a little bit more. I think he's in the mix to be a top 50 pick in terms of this wide receiver class. I think he's a vertical slot player. Maybe he can play a little bit outside, but I think at the NFL level, he'll be more of that vertical slot. I have a hard time in terms of ranking because it is such a good class. So like I couldn't put him over to Ohio state guys, Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave, uh, you know, and then obviously, Drake London, Traylon Burks, John Mechie, Jahad Dotson, Ania Smith, who I'm a big fan of, you know, Justin Ross, David Bell. I put him kind of at 10 right now, but I could see him going and I could see him when I get more of a clear picture on him, maybe even moving higher than that. And I think he's probably going to go over some of these guys I've talked about because there seems to be a lot of buzz that this is a guy who could be one of the top two or three or four wide receivers taken in this class. And that would put him ahead of a lot of these guys. So it might sound crazy that he goes ahead of his teammate, John Mechie or, or Traylon Burks or those guys, but it's possible by the time draft weekend rolls around, it could be the two Ohio State guys, Drake London, and then Jameson Williams. That wouldn't flaw me. That's not how I have it right now, but I could see the NFL eventually getting there. So Jeff, let me shoot it over to you first. I, I know you said you didn't get a chance to watch as much of Jamison Williams as, as the other guys, but some thoughts on him. I know we were talking a little bit off air that you didn't come away thinking, wow. Yeah. I, I saw Miami and of this, his Miami game this year. Um, I like how you brought up the physicality angle. Uh, I know you talked about it at the catch point press corners, but you know, you, you see the buzz. You, you, it's hard to, uh, it's hard to get, um, to ignore the buzz in the draft circles around him, as you were just saying. And um, and I just didn't see anything jump off the page. And one of the ones that just boggled my mind is his lack of physicality at any element of the game. 
I mean, I'm seeing these screen passes, I'm seeing these edge runs, and I'm seeing him kind of stand around, not even engaging as as a blocker. I don't know that it's just like a little nitpicky. That's not. I mean, some coaches would that drive them up the wall. Some some guys just say you're a receiver, go run some good routes and catch the ball. But even then, I just you know I didn't see I didn't see a refined game um, in. in Miami, he he only had a few uh, catches out there on, on that game, you know, and it's really hard to watch from, you know, broadcast film to see exactly how his plan of attack is against, you know, different defenses and, and especially as the defense sort of shifts after the snap. But nothing really jumped out off, off the tape to me there. I mean, he had a 95-yard catch, I think, a touchdown catch where, you know, he definitely has some wheels, but... I didn't see game breaking speed um, the way that you'd see like with a Tyreek Hill. Like, like I don't think that, you know, we, we saw John Ross run a really fast 40 and that didn't come out on on the field. Right. So I I don't know exactly, even if he does test fast, you know, if he's, if it's going to come across in the play that way, Um, you know, you, you mentioned kind of maybe where his draft stock was going and, you know, I think about, you know, vertical slot players and I think about um, Henry Ruggs, Marquise Brown in some previous draft classes. And I like them a lot better, um, you know, even just kind of if you put them in a rough, similar profile, you know, those guys were, you know, well, Ruggs was 14 and Brown was 24, 25, you know. So for me, I think I, I just don't see round one myself. Uh, it's kind of hard to ignore that buzz, but, you know, for me, I, you know, if you want to take a shot at him, you know, round, round two, like I, I get that too, but also what's he going to bring to your team, right? If he's, is he going to be that, you know, vertical threat stretching the field? You know, we saw the Rams take two, two Atwell to do that. And, you know, we came on the pod this summer and, and kind of questioned why you'd invest you know, that draft capital, when you can find players, you can bring that element to your team with in day three. So I don't know. Um not saying he's a day three pick. I, I think he's better than that for sure. But, you know, it all really depends what you're looking for, for your team. And, and I just, I'm not sure that I see round one yet. Bad thoughts on, on Williams. Yeah. I, I, I'm a little bit, I'm a little bit in this, in the same kind of spot as, as you are, Jeff. Um, but I understand, Paul, to, to your points, I think he is a player that has, I think, tremendous, you know, tremendous speed. And I think his burst is excellent. So I think that when you're talking about a player that can reach, you know, that that top speed and stretch the field. Yeah, he's not Tyreek Hill. He re- you know what he really did remind me of? Honestly, I see that I see the shadows of Jalen Waddell in some of what he does. I see the the vague shadows of what he does in in, in like a Jalen Waddle type of player. What I mean by that is I see that 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 idea that you're entranced by his by his linear speed, his strength, um, in terms of you want to see him like you're like man, I could see him breaking that tackle and taking it to the house. Like there, you feel like he's on the the precipice of another level of evolution and emergence when you watch some of his film. You see some of it. Like, man, one more cut and he would have he would have housed it. You know, like I do see it. However, I don't 
I don't, I don't, I don't think he's right now offering more than some of the top players at this position. I definitely see a, a potentially, you know, solid wide receiver that can, you know, emerge as a, you know, a third or fourth option right out of the gate. You know, maybe a fourth option out of the gate on a team, which is which is good. Which is good that that means he he's going to be getting some some time. Um, but no, I mean, as a problem solver in terms of his route stems, in terms of his deceptive qualities of what he does in the route. Um, yeah, he has a variety of fakes. He'll, he'll, he'll play with tempo. He uses his upper and lower bodies to kind of manipulate and create space, you know, at the, you know, at the, um, at the, at the ability at the top of his routes to kind of create space. He does use those deceptive qualities, his head fakes. He will do that. And I think in the short areas of the game, I do think that, you know, when you talk about short area routes, high speed change of direction routes, I definitely see that athleticism, you know, acting as an opportunity for him to kind of create separation i do see those things in the short areas of, of the um of the route tree in terms of the deep areas i mean absolutely i mean he has that speed to kind of you know to kind of pull away he has that kind of second gear that he can pull away from a defender he can beat the safety over the top all those things are valid you know at the catch point um he has i mean i've seen a couple of flashes where he he did it in contact but to jeff's point i think a variety of of like most of his routes he's found himself wide open um and i do think that he adjusts nicely to a ball though whether it's you know within his frame or out of his frames he can adjust in that way um but i i don't i mean i i don't i don't particularly see a player who's very great after the catch. I think he's solid. I think he's, you know, he's functional. I think he can handle it. Um, but I, I mean, you know, I, I keep thinking I'm still in, enthralled with what I saw from Kadarius Tony. Kadarius Tony will always be a player that I saw with the ball in his hands. It didn't matter what happened. He was just amazing. And I keep asking myself, is he, is he even remotely in that discussion with Kadarius Tony? And I, 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 yeah, I don't even, I, I, I don't even think he's, I don't think he's even near that. And I would say also, though, though I, I don't know many players that are. So I mean, it's I got to be fair to that. Um, but in terms of wide receivers, I think he's a depth player right now. I think he comes into the league. I think he's a depth player. I think he can creep his way into the top four, and we'll see where it goes. You know, I think we were talking about it off the air. I think there is a little bit of um, an Alabama uh, kind of uh, people being enthralled with the Alabama receivers right now, and um, maybe that could be. Um, why he's there. He deserves to be in a conversation as a draftable prospect in the top three rounds. I'm just not entirely sure I would put him in round one. And if he trends that way and he gets that way, um, you know, good for him. I, I just, <laughs> I just, when I watch his, when I watch his film and watch what he's asked to do, watch where he's asked to go. Um, I, I don't know if I see an outstanding over the top, better problem solver than Garrett Wilson or Trayvon Burks or, um, or Chris Olave. Um, I'm gonna be honest with you. I mean, I know George Pickens is injured and Justin Ross hasn't been Justin Ross, but I'm gonna tell you right now, those dudes, I injured, not really producing right now. I get it, but I, you know, I feel like they've put up tape that will be better than his, even though they were young. And I know that's not gonna fly in the NFL. I know everybody's gonna push them down the list, and I get it. But I'm just saying, I mean, those guys, those guys' tape was, I think, just as strong, if not stronger. So. I think he's going to be in my, I think he's going to be in the latter end of my top 10. I don't know if he'll be in my top five, um, but that's only because I think to your point earlier, Paul, it's not a, it's not a weak receiver class. It's not like there's guys who can't, you know, kind of go there. So, 
So that's that's kind of where I am right now. I, I wish I could say I can add something that you guys didn't say, but receivers, you guys know I love receivers. And I walked away from him saying, solid, solid receiver, functional NFL player, top four on a depth chart. Sure, sure. Number one yeah. receiver, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I think I, I think you, you kind of hit the head right there. This is a really strong receiver class. So to to I don't think you're gonna see many people have them in their top fives. I think maybe by the time draft weekend rolls around, the people who kind of morph their rankings into what they're hearing, and maybe then you might see Jameson Williams in some people's top fives if 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 they're kind of relying on what they're what they're hearing out there, like the Mel Kuypers of the world and stuff like that, who it's more like ears to the ground. Uh I don't see his talent level uh, on the level of the Ohio State guys or Drake London. I could I could see a team, while I like Traylon Burks better, I could see a team based on what they already have on their depth chart, maybe saying Jamison Williams brings something we don't have. Uh, same thing, why they might choose Jamison Williams over a Justin Ross or a George Pickens or – you know, or or some other guys there. Like I, I think Ania Smith is the best mover in this class, similar to your Kadarius Tony last year. I think he's the closest, you know, facsimile to to Kadarius Tony uh, from this class. So I think he's a guy who's going to really rise up the boards. And I do want to say this though, because I do, be, I do think people come sometimes away. And when you say a functional player, top four in a depth chart, it's not a knock on these players. And I feel no. like. I feel like people no. get that connotation. Elijah Moore has barely been able to crack the top three for the Jets and mostly been their fourth at, at times this year. Yeah. And Rondell Moore, who everybody loves, is still the fourth wide receiver for the Arizona Cardinals this year. They're still making an impact. Kadarius Tony didn't crack the Giants top four until injury until didn't crack the top three. It was fourth or fifth until injuries occurred. So just because we say, oh, he's a depth player, top four on a depth chart immediately, that's not a negative connotation. These guys don't come in. Josh Palmer was a third-round pick, and, and Jeff and I loved him. He's barely been heard from, and part of that's because Mike Williams has been unbelievable this year. And But, you know, Amari Rogers hasn't been heard from. Like plenty of guys who, who, who go in the top 100 picks, top 80 picks. Start out their careers very slowly. They're not. We're not all Jamar Chase, right? Van, Van Jefferson mean, he, comes to mind. You know, yeah. It, yeah look what Van Jefferson two pick, doing this year. Start at fourth in the depth chart. Work your way through. I mean, they cut Deshaun Jackson. He's working his way in, and then he's becoming a part of that offense. Like, you know, that's the expectation for most day two picks is to be, you know, to start on on, you know, little plays fit in here or there find a role in the offense and build your way up from there. Well, I mean, I just wanted to add this. I mean, I think, I think what you guys are delineating here is the difference between, you know, framing these discussions towards a fantasy focus versus a draft football focus, but also to add the point where, you know, to that point contributors versus starters versus focal points, you know? And I, I think that I think, you know, when we talk about Jamison Williams, I see a contributor. I see a contributor for sure. You know, do I see a focal point? Absolutely not. Do I see somebody who is a starter? Maybe, maybe down the line. But I think to Paul's point, I think that's kind of the area we're living in is like, is he a focal point type of player? Is he going to change the way you scheme up your game because of what he can do with the football? Like Drake London might be 
might be a starter to focal point because of what he can do in certain areas of the field and what he can achieve. Same thing with Traylon Burks. He may not be the most amazing player in, in every area, but he could be, he can be that starter focal point type of player. You know, I don't, I don't, I don't think Jamison Williams is, is a contributor. And to your points earlier, that doesn't mean ostracized to the depths of the depth chart where you'll never emerge. It just means that it's going to be a bit of an uphill climb. And I think that's that's what you're getting from these second and third round guys. I think you're 100 percent right, Jeff. I didn't think that's exactly what you were talking about, Paul. And and it's not even just. And I'm going to use this as the, the transition point, actually. And we're gonna we're gonna skip past because we didn't have a lot in the Debbie Slant report, and and we went long, and we don't care. We we, we were excited to to do the deep dive there. Uh, so we're gonna switch this right to the NFL rookie report, but kind of going with the topic that we're on right now. It's not even just day two and day three wide receivers. It's even day one wide receivers, right? Like Henry Ruggs has never been the focal point of the Raiders offense. And and now we probably will never see Henry Ruggs again right now, but that's a, a different topic, you know, that we're not going to get into right now. But even if we stick with Alabama for a second, Devonta Smith is not taking the NFL by storm. Now he's the first guy I wanted to bring up in the NFL rookie report. Do we think it's him do we think it's the physicality of the NFL? Do we think it's Jalen Hurts? Do we think it's a combination of both? I mean, yeah, he's had some good games, but you know, w- when you take a guy top ten, you want to you want more of an immediate impact, and he hasn't been this impact player. Okay, maybe maybe you don't expect Jamar Chase, you know, because that's un- unheard of, but. I think the Eagles and the Eagles fans, and I think people who are like Devonta Smith, myself included, thought we were going to see a guy making more of a weekly impact week in and week out. But it just shows you how hard it is to make the transition. And it's not just day two guys that sometimes take time. It's even round one guys. So any quick thoughts there from either of you guys about Devonta Smith? Do we think his struggles, you know, are something that's just a little blip on the radar. Do we think it's him? Do we think it's getting adjusted to the physicality of the league? And he's obviously a very small guy. Do we think it's just that Eagles offense, Jalen Hurts, his inaccurate, his accuracy issues. And any thoughts on Devonta Smith? Maybe Jeff, if you want to start it. Sure. I mean, I think he's going to be fine. I, you know, surprise, like no one athlete is going to do absolutely everything well, right? Like, they're going to do what they do well because that's who they are as 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 a player. And I do think there's some adjustment to the NFL that Smith's finding a little bit difficult. Um, you know, I think he's some of those reps I see getting pinned to the sideline and uh, you know on more physical corners when he's kind of asked to win one on one down there. Like, no, it's it's not always it's not what he's you know been great at at least at the moment. It's it's a level up to the NFL. But I also think. They're not, you know, when he's doing well, you know, Jalen Hurts is a little bit on and the, the scheme is is kind of there to help him. He, he can be a focal point. He can be the engine of an offense. He's great at catching the ball. He's great at getting open. He's great at being a reliable target over the middle of the field. And that's where you've seen him, you know, shine because that's, you know, that was where he was absolutely dominant in college. And He's taking that and he's saying that I can do that in the NFL. It's just that sometimes there's some things where he's struggling and and a lot of it I do have to place on, you know, Jalen Hurts struggling too and, and the entire team. It's an ecosystem and, you know, 
not everything is meshing perfectly there, um, but mostly as a team. And, you know, they're like what was kind of being asked of Devontae Smith isn't necessarily, you know, fair to carry that offense right now. Yeah, I, I, I'm going to kind of just pivot it off of what – I don't even know if I just said a word there, but I think I'm going to pivot off of what he just said. And I'm going to kind of say the same thing. I, I, I'm going to kind of say the wait-and-see approach with Devonta Smith. I mean, listen, I'm I, I'm willing to take a little bit of an L on Jalen Rager right now. I mean, it didn't really – it's not really working out the way we thought about it. Um, but I'm not entirely sure Jalen Rager, kind of like our very own Paul – Try not to cry over this one, but I mean, it's fair. It's like our very own Evan Ingram. I mean, I'm not about to take an L on those guys completely because I'm not entirely sure it's it, their their fault. <laughs> like, you know, I, I yes, yes, theoretically, it's you know who else do we blame? Um, but I mean, I think that you know these guys are part of, as Jeff put it eloquently, an ecosystem where there is more at play. The you know the complexities of the game are not reserved to the players in this isolated position where they throw themselves the ball, catch it and run for a score. You know, they're working in concert with their quarterback as well as their offensive line, as well as the run scheme, um, as well as the, you know, the, the ever changing dynamics on the field from the down and distance, to the hash mark, all of it. I think Devonta Smith is going to be fine in the NFL. I still think that his strength is a strength that translates at all times in the NFL, which is he's was an excellent route runner. Um, and I think that that was something that regardless of where he ends up kind of filling in, I, I still think you hold on to him. You know, Jalen Rager, we could say he was a little bit more of a projection. Um, but Devonta Smith, I mean, put up tape, you know, on being an excellent route runner. And the fact that he's not, you know, contributing at the level we thought, um, I, I, I'm not ready to say that that's entirely him. Um and it might just be something that's working through. Again, Tyler Boyd always comes to mind. People were writing Tyler Boyd off for a long time. Um, we we were about to man ship, Paul. I mean, I think we were pretty much in the life rep boat with our you know our life preservers on, saying farewell to the you know ship as it was sinking, only to find out that it was going to be fine. And he emerged the way we thought he was going to emerge into a you know a dominant number two player on a team. I think I think. You know, Devonta Smith, I would I would kill right now to have him on the Giants, to be honest with you. I'd want him right now. I'll trade him right now. I'd want him. Um, yeah. You know, I wouldn't give up. I, I know we can't give up Kadarius Tony, but you get what I'm saying. You get what I'm saying, though. I would take Devonta Smith. I have no issues with him um, right now. And Jamar Chase, Jamar Chase, we, all, we, we said Jamar Chase was going to be good. Okay, would he drop five balls in the preseason and everybody losing their mind? Okay, so that that ship is sailed. We're fine. He's setting records and he looks amazing. Okay, I mean, but I think to the point, and I'll leave it here. I do not think we're dealing with a Joe Burrow Jamar Chase connection. We're dealing with a Jalen Hurts Devonta Smith connection, and Jalen Hurts was never a guy who was this amazing passer to utilize players like this. We knew that. And I think that's why it can't be solely on the failures or successes of Devonta Smith. Well, just to chime in before we move on, I mean, I think I said it at the start of the year, Paul, like, and, and Jamar Chase has proved me wrong. But like I said, we, we need to have realistic expectations for, for rookies and what they're going to do and how they're going to contribute. I think I mentioned last week how, you know, I'm really impressed with what Rashad Bateman's doing. And he had three catches, you know, 80 yards and three catches. Like, 
you know, what are we asking of Devontae Smith right now? Like he's flashing, he's showing his route running, he's showing his hands, he's showing that he could be a good option. It's just, it's not consistent yet. It's, it's not, we're not seeing Jamar Chase. We're not seeing him be a four-year veteran, but he's not, he's a rookie. <laughs> and, and, and that's, I think our expectations have to be appropriate. And I think he's succeeding as a rookie wide receiver in the NFL. I mean, he's not even just a contributor, like like we were talking about. He he is a starter to almost a focal point. Yeah. Do you think his father's working on a video of all the times he was open? <laughs> uh, and listen, I'm right there with you guys both. I don't think uh, – I don't think – I don't think he's the problem. I think – a lot of his struggles and inconsistencies is a part of the offensive issues that Philadelphia is having right now. And I don't think that Jalen Hurts is really the quarterback that's going to unlock Devonta Smith at the next level. Uh, he's a guy that you can throw the ball, anticipatory throws, and you know Devonta Smith's going to be there, right? And he, we saw that when he was with Tua. We saw it with Mac Jones, and and that's not really Jalen Hurts. He's got to see it to throw it. Mm-hmm. And it's not that Devonta Smith can't get open. It's just it's just different in the NFL. There's not going to be those gaping holes that you know Devonta Smith had at Alabama, right? Defenses mm-hmm. and coverages are, are just better. So I think that's part of the issue. I think he's going to be fine, but I was just using it kind of as the jumping off point for the rookie report, just to kind of tie it into what we were talking about with, with, you know, evaluating Jameson Williams and other players is that, you know, how quickly these guys become focal points is rare. Now I'm sure Philadelphia wanted him to be more of a focal point and they've kind of thrust them into that role, but that's not really what you want to do to any rookie. Like, you know, even Jamar Chase, I don't think the Bengals were like, yeah, we're going to run the offense through him. It's just kind of morphed into that because of how good he's been. And, and you know, and, and that's it. So it, 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 I think he'll be fine. A couple other names. I'm going to bring him. I'm going to mention them all at once and then kind of open the floor for you guys to go wherever you want of other things that stood out from the rookies. Justin Fields, best game as a professional, 19 to 27, 175 yards. One touchdown, finally got going on the ground. 10 carries, 103 yards, showing that dual capability that we know he has in there. Maybe it has something to do with Matt Nagy was not there calling the plays, um, uh, foreshadowing of, of what next year will be like for Justin Fields. Uh, Elijah Mitchell for the 49ers, 18 carries, 137 yards, continues to look really impressive when he's given the rock. I, I think the question starts to become is, you know, is he a guy that we should be investing in in Dynasty and could be a, a starter long term there, at least for the next year or two? Uh, stock down on Kent Gainwell. We dealt with the Miles Sanders injury. It was going to open the door for Kent Gainwell, and, and they decided, uh, nope, we're going to give the ball to Boston Scott. We're going to give the ball to Jordan Howard and Ken Gainwell can only play in mop up duty in the second half. So that was a turn of events that did not see coming stock up on Michael Carter. Look at that. He's pretty good receiving back. They finally get him the ball in passing situations. And what does he do? Nine catches for 95 yards. If that's a Zach Wilson thing, then they got to change the game plan when Zach Wilson gets back. 
because if Zach, if, if Zach Wilson's only wants to push the ball vertically down the field, and that's the reason why you didn't use Michael Carter in this capacity for the first seven games or so of the year, then you got to adjust the offense because Michael Carter's best attribute is his pass catching ability. And this was the first week they finally took advantage of it and monster game over 160 total yards, touchdown, you know, really impressive performance by Michael Carter. Uh, and then Pat Fryer moved four catches, 44 yards, and a touchdown. His arrow is pointing straight up. I think he could be a guy that next year when we're looking even in redraft leagues or, or buying in dynasty leagues, who can be the guy that emerges into an, another tight end one, maybe not top half tight end one, but second half tight end one. I think Friermuth has a chance to be in that mix. You know, if guys like Logan Thomas and Tyler Higby were in that mix this year, I think Friermuth has an opportunity. You know, we'll see how the quarterback situation plays out in Pittsburgh and who it is next year. But Friermuth is a guy on the rise. So Jeff, let me bring it over to you. The floor is yours, Justin Fields, Elijah Mitchell, anything else that that I mentioned, or if there's any other rookies you want to bring up. All right. I'll leave some some airtime for Matt to just gush over Justin Fields. But to quickly remark, I mean, it is kind of amazing what you do when you can actually game plan around the strengths of your quarterback, right? I mean, getting Fields on the move. And 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 then, then you see what happens, that, that his rushing touchdown was on a fourth and one where the play was blown up. And, and he creates, he makes something happen. And all of a sudden he's 60 yards down the field in the end zone. So uh, I'm, I'm glad we're seeing the flashes because, you know, kind of like Zach Wilson, I think people were getting nervous. And when you see the flashes, then you can, there's something there to tangibly play back in your memory um, to believe in that, that development can get there and what they look like for for a player. Um, For Fryermuth, I think, you know, we're talking about somebody who could be like Hunter Henry, I think. Um, I think that was always kind of something that was, you know, within his range of development, but it's come way quicker than you'd expect a tight end to get there. And, um, you know, I think a really reliable big target. So um, that that's sort of like, like you said, that back end tight end one and, and really reliable target, really reliable starter there in Pittsburgh. For the, for these, Running backs, you know, we've talked a lot about the top guys. You know, we talked lately about um, Khalil Herbert, but Mitchell and Carter, I think, are, are two names we've we've touched briefly on a lot on Mitchell. And, you know, I, I want to just say, you know, we've talked about it at the beginning of the season. He was hurt a little bit. Now, now he's back and he's playing again. And there has been tangible demonstrative improvement in earning those tough yards and so you might see the highlight of his touchdown run that's kind of what it was like in a nutshell uh that encapsulates you know how he was you know improving on those those areas of his game um but there were several strong exposures i don't if if you see him he's there because i think he's he's got the burst he's got the speed he can take advantage of the the lanes that the San Francisco run game creates, you know, to a much, you know, more impactful degree, um, much more home run kind of hitting field flipping degree. And that, and that's why he's in there. But when you can start getting tough yards, I don't know that you really see a path for Trey Sermon to, to play into that backfield. So that that's, I think something just credit to Mitchell and, and it, it's nothing against Sermon as a runner, but you're, you're not going to have a role if he can do that too. 
And then last, last touch on Carter. I mean, he's always been good in the open field. I've never been sold as like an inside runner or, or sort of a, a lead runner, but you know, it's amazing what you get, what you do when you get a guy who's a good open field player in the open field, you know, this target share, you alluded to it, Paul, it's, it's all been Mike white throwing him the football down in the flats and it's not been Zach Wilson. And I had questions about, you know, Zach Wilson being able to feed Elijah Moore. Uh, we see Elijah Moore got his six of six receptions on six targets with Mike white. I, I'm, you know, Zach Wilson has a lot of growth to do on the NFL level. And, and you can kind of see how these, these, these weapons that they've put around him, you know, with Elijah Moore and with Carter are not being leaned on in the way that they could be to really, you know, for Wilson to help himself. Um, so I think there's going to be, obviously Wilson is their future. They spent the second pick on him. And I think that's been the storyline I, I mentioned at the beginning of the season that we really have to see is how is he going to evolve his game from this sort of rollout, you know, sideline layered thrower to, you know, an, a quarterback that can read the field, throw over the middle of the field, progress through those reads, deliver the ball, you know, to his playmakers with anticipation in space. And, um, and, I, and, you know, so far it hasn't come. We see Mike White step in and do exactly what we were, are hoping Wilson can do. That all the traits and tools for it for a, a massive ceiling won't mean anything if he can't get the basics down, and and that's concerning to me. Yeah, for sure, uh, Matt. Let's bring you in. Uh, any thoughts on any of the rookies? Justin Fields, obviously, best game as a pro. We've been waiting for him to kind of be unleashed as a dual threat player. We finally saw it this weekend. Uh, any thoughts on Fields or any of the other rookies? Dear Justin Fields, I've been thinking often about your rise to fame, and it all happened in the second quarter on your basically rollout pass off play action to Jesse James in the end zone. <sighs> oh, Justin, <laughs> it took so long. I'm finally excited to see you free from the shackles of turmoil that held you back in Chicago. Forever yours. Anyway, um, I, 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 we say it in jest because I think you know Jeff was 100% right. I think we diminished the, 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 the fact that not allowing him to run was like trying to, you know, was cutting off his arm, essentially. His ability to connect to the game. And, the, you know, the, the, the ebbs and throws and ups and downs of a football game are not solely reduced to the execution of a passing play for a quarterback. You know, the, the, the fact that he's had his legs since, <laughs> since he's been playing the game was a major way for him to connect to the moment and for him to be able to anticipate what he needed to be able to do in order to be successful in a given situation. You know, by not allowing him to do those things, you're, 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 you're basically asking him to play you know, left-handed or right-handed, whatever metaphor you want to use, one-handed. Um, that's a big part of how he sees the field and being on the move and being free to move and having, you know, and, and this is what we said from Josh Allen. I think back to Josh Allen, like when he was in Wyoming, you know, and when he went to the Bills, 
you know, he was he was starting to connect better um, when they were allowing him to move early on in his career, whether it was rollouts, play actions, on the move, in shotgun, allowing him to do those things instead of just making him a statue in the pocket allowed him to kind of self-organize the information that would be helpful for him to, to be able to throw the football and be consistent. I mean, you know, I was, I was completely having a great time there joking about my ode to Justin Fields, but you saw it in the second quarter on that pass to Jesse James, the man was locked in. He was locked in that little bootleg that he had off play action. He feathered that ball into the lower court, you know, the lower section or quadrant of the end zone, only where Jesse James can make that play. And that was just everything I wanted to see in terms of a player being in the zone, meaning everything was was slowing down for him. And then we talk about the epic second half scramble where he basically just made every one of those athletic freaks on the 49er defensive line look slow. Um, he He showed why he is, and I still believe this, along with Trevor Lawrence, they are potential you know, dynamic unicorn type players at the position. And I think we just got to continue to Jeff's point. And I think Paul, to your point, we have to continue to be patient, you know, let these guys work through it. Obviously some things had to be moved. Matt Nagy did not mesh well with Justin. Um, It didn't work together. That doesn't mean Matt Nagy is a fool. I know a lot of people in Chicago have different opinions, but he wasn't, he's not, it's not because Matt Nagy is terrible. It's more like, you know, they didn't work together. It didn't make sense. That wasn't going to be correct for them. But man, Chicago, you still got it right. I'm telling you with Justin Fields, let's hold on to him. Really, honestly, this guy is going to be, he's going to be everything that you want. And he still throws the ball. He's got a gun of an arm. And when you watch him flick it, you see everything you wanted to see from Ohio State now in the NFL. So, Paul, I know we're running long, but. I mean, I can't, I, I, I'll just leave it there. I think everything that Jeff said about the other players I'm in, I'm in lockstep with, I think this was a player though that, oh, Justin. <laughs> now, listen, it'll be interesting to see who the coach is next year uh, and, and what type of offense and scheme they run there. I think that's going to be interesting for the development of him. You want to get somebody in there. I think a very open, yeah. creative mind to maximize Justin Fields' skill sets. I think the genie's out of the bottle, so I, I don't. I can't imagine when Matt Nagy's back there on the sidelines this week, they don't incorporate some running in there. That would seem crazy. As a Giant fan, I want Justin Fields to continue to be successful week in and week out, but I want those Bears to just keep racking up those losses. They will only be favored one more time the rest of the year, so hopefully that pick that's coming to New York uh, – Chicago gets their quarterback. Giants get a top five pick. Everybody, everybody walks away from that uh, a winner uh, in that regards. Uh, and there is Tony also uh, a part of that as well for the Giants. Speaking of Justin Fields, let's use him and his team as a transition point to the dynasty report for this week. And Jeff, let me shoot it right over to you. Is it time to flip flop in dynasty rankings? Darnell Mooney. Allen Robinson, it seems like Mooney's going to be here at least for a little bit longer, locked in with Justin Fields. Allen Robinson's going to be an unknown. He's going to be playing with a new team next year. We don't know what that team is going to be. Receivers besides Stefan Diggs and a few other instances don't have great track records of going to new teams. He seems a step slow this year. 
should we be flip-flopping Darnell Mooney and Allen Robinson or at least be pushing them real close together in our dynasty ranks? Pushing close together, I can see. Um, if you're if you're asking me, a, you know, rankings in the future of the Chicago Bears, then yes, I think we flip that. You know, I think the future is Mooney and, and Robinson's, you know, fading out of that picture. Um, the NFL trade deadline is a joke. I wish we were in the MLB or, you know, cause then, then Allen Robinson would be on the Packers or, or something, something fun like that. Maybe the chiefs alas um, in my, my dynasty rings tend to be, you know, very talent based. And I don't think Darnell Mooney is on the same level of talent that we've seen Allen Robinson play at. So for me, the big question is, you know, do you think Robinson has lost it, right? Um, I mean, there's no other way that, like, his stock is down and he's down in the rankings. There's no other way to, to kind of get around that with the way he's playing right now. But, you know, is the talent gone? Did it disappear? You know, or we've been giving Odell Beckham Jr. excuses for four or five years now. You know, and we're really, we really want to believe in that talent, right? Are we, are we dealing with a situation like that? And I think for Robinson, I don't, I don't think it's some, something where he's like relied on elite athleticism where he's had an injury and all of a sudden he lost a step and he just can't do what he used to do. He definitely doesn't look like the same Allen Robinson on the field this year. I'm just kind of going through that very situational based i don't kind of like how we noticed calvin ridley didn't look the same and you know he's come out and you know he's dealing with some stuff and it's hard to have your heart in it all the time and and that's gonna show i'm gonna say i'm not flipping them you know i'm not putting mooney over Allen robinson because i still think we're gonna go into next year and we're gonna look at Allen robinson as a uh as the better, you know, fantasy football pick, um, you know, even with the age and everything. Um, so, you know, and because, you know, we're, we're halfway through the rest of this, you know, halfway through a year, we only have half a year of 2021 remaining 2022 and beyond. We'll kind of factor in more weighted into those grades than, yeah, I'm still going to have Robinson above it, but, you know, as far as the Chicago bears are concerned, you know, I think they've already made that, that switch. Yeah. I mean, I think Alan Robinson hasn't wanted to be there in a while, right? He wanted to get out last year and this could just be kind of finally, you know, the crescendo of they don't want him there. He doesn't want to be there. Maybe he's not giving max effort, whatever the case may be. I think it's going to be hard to know if he's really lost it or lost a step until he's on a new team because there's probably going to be a level of rejuvenation. You know, he would make sense for many teams from green Bay to new England to lots of other teams. Uh, so it's going to be interesting to kind of see where Allen Robinson ends up. And, you know, the bears are going to have to get Justin Fields some other playmakers, right? It can't just be Darnell Mooney, you know, Cole Komet, like they're going to have to invest in, in a big time playmaker, whether it's in the draft, whether it's in free agency as well, you know, to surround him with the appropriate weapons that he needs as well. 
The other two things I wanted to bring up, Matt, and I'll, I'll shoot it over to you. Any thoughts on these is, man, it, a couple of weeks ago we were saying Derrick Henry, maybe he should be RB1, right? Because he just he doesn't get hurt. He keeps chugging along. I don't know if we put the jinx on him. Now he's out the season with a foot injury, a guy his size, a guy with his wear and tear. That's got to change the narrative a lot in terms of dynasty rankings, right? Like he's going to finally miss time. It's a, it's a foot injury, all the wear and tear. So I think his stock has to be down now. You know, we have to reassess it. And then stock up, and, and Jeff and I talked about this, I think, a little bit last week, and I think he's even got to go further up, is Michael Pittman's taken off. And he's a guy that I know Matt and I really liked here at Saturday or Sunday when he was coming out. Uh, thought he had a lot more to his game than just a – physical possession wide receiver. I thought that was people kind of pigeonholed him like that a little bit in the pre-draft process. And we thought he had a lot more nuance to his overall route running to his athleticism. I thought, you know, he didn't get credit for that enough. And now he's kind of morphing into that player that he's morphing into a true number one wide receiver for the Colts and him and Carson Wentz are really starting to show some good chemistry. So I think stock has to be way up. And I know, Jeff, last week we were talking about, like, where you put a guy like T. Higgins. And, you know, we said we had to bring him down a little bit, you know, because it just became so quickly Jamar Chase's offense. And I haven't updated yet where Michael Pittman is going. But I think you kind of start to think about it. Like, I don't think, like, there should be, like, this 15 or 20 ranking gap between a guy like T. Higgins and a guy like Michael Pittman. Because I do think their talent is pretty comparable. Uh so I, I think he's got to really start moving up the boards in ter- in terms of dynasty ranks. Uh, Matt, thoughts on Pittman maybe from you, and then Jeff, you round out uh, the show by uh, maybe sharing some thoughts yourself. I, well, I think Michael Pittman, as we said in the pre-draft pos- process during the year he was drafted, was he was a victim of you know a series of unfortunate events in terms of injuries. He never really had a clean college career. He never had a long stretch where he was able to capitalize on, as we were talking about, that focal point starter or depth player. He was always considered to be a player that would be a focal point, but because of the injuries, he could only be a contributor most of the time. And that was the reason why until his senior year where he started to put together, not his senior year, excuse me, his final year in college, where he started to put together some actual, you know, some actual momentum in terms of his stats and, and, and people started to take notice, but the tools have always been there and I'm excited to see him being able to take that next leap. He was a player that, you know, Paul and I, 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 Paul, I know you mentioned it. We, we just, we really loved. So not a victory lap yet. Obviously there's a lot more growth in time, but I mean, he's certainly a player that I'm, I'm, I'm definitely happy for. And I see a lot in there. Um, the Derrick Henry discussion. Yeah. I feel like, I feel like that was our fault, but no, I, I feel like I feel like, you know, yeah, I mean, Derrick Henry, I'm sorry, man. Like, you know, it's I, I I feel horrible because obviously he got injured and you never want to see anybody get injured, but I also think he's getting injured in the very prime of his career. Um and I and I hate seeing that because I think we all we all lose. We all lose from watching a great football player play. And he is an outstanding football player, and I think he is among the, if not the best running back in the league. And to see him go down is what was heartbreaking. I mean, and as a dynasty owner, 
I don't think you can really sit here and, you know, rely upon him, you know, as a commodity that you're going to continue to build off of. You have to be concerned. Um, I think the window for the next couple of years is, is a little bit confusing. Um, so for me, I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I think the changing of the guard kind of occurs and, you know, it's amazing how, you know, we're saying, well, how come you didn't, you know, you didn't do that with Christian McCaffrey? Christian McCaffrey keeps getting all these passes and Derek Henry gets hurt once and now we're dumping him. I mean, Christian McCaffrey's only 25 too, though. I mean, like we're, we're hoping that there's a resurgence there. There's plenty of time in his career and he's a more versatile back in terms of what he does on the field that you're hoping that that kind of plays out. You know, we're, we're, you're worried about the wear and tear on, on a guy like, you know, Derek Henry and what he does to his body. Now you're a little concerned, like, is this an indication of a breakdown? I think it's very naive of us to, to be able to say that yes or no yet. Um, I do know that I, I'm, I'm not acquiring him right now. If I'm, if I'm in need of a running back, um, I'm certainly leaving him in the top 10 as a dynasty player. He's probably moving down out of my, you know, top five. Um, to that top eight where he was, you know, number eight overall is probably where he slides for me. Still saying he's a commodity for the next couple of years at least. Um, but is he that guy that I'm going to build off of? Now I'm a little less sure that he's a top five guy. And we said that as a controversial point in the time that we last talked about this, but I still think it warranted that discussion. Now I'm a little bit more skittish about that. And I think, you know, the Jonathan Taylors of the world and the Nick Chubbs of the world and those guys, I mean, you know, the, those are the guys you're probably leaning on more as the commodities that you're going to need to build off of in a dynasty moving forward. Um, do we leave Christian McCaffrey and Alvin Kamara higher than him? Yeah. Yeah, you do. Because to me, they're more versatile in their, their long-term lifespan. I keep thinking of Darren Sproles, right? Darren Sproles was useful for a long time in, in dynasty. Like he was useful for a long time in fantasy football. He wasn't always an RB one, but he was an RB two for quite a bit of time. Brian Westbrook, you think about those types of players and you're wondering, will Kamara and McCaffrey trend in that direction as we continue to go forward? And I think they have the a likelihood to do that. So you leave them where they are, but I feel terrible for Derek Henry, Paul. I, I, I really do. I mean, what do you think, Paul? I mean, are you, I mean, like I know we said it. We said it in jest when we last spoke about it, right? We we weren't serious about the number one, but we thought it. it I know. It, it, we, but it meant. But we definitely thought it warranted a, a legitimate question. Do you think this automatically takes him back to where he was at the very at the very least? Do you think he's out of the top ten? I mean, I had him at six, and that was the highest I was ever going with him. Like he was never going ahead of McCaffrey, Dalvin Cook, Saquon, Alvin Kamara, nope. and Jonathan Taylor. Now I think the question will be, does he back, does he push out of that top 10 mix? I think that's, it's debatable. It's debatable. You know, guys like Mixon, Najee Harris, DeAndre Swift, Aaron Jones, Austin Eckler, Nick Chubb, Ezekiel Elliott. I think those are the guys that are now in the conversation there uh, in terms of where that, you know, where he can kind of fit in there. So Jeff, any, any thoughts on Derrick Henry or Michael Pittman here to close out uh, the show tonight? That definitely ends of the emotional spectrum there. Um, Derrick Henry, it just, it breaks my heart because the NFL, like the NFL loses um, because I just, I think everybody was rooting for him to just shatter records. Um, and he was good. He, he's so fun to root for. From the actual meat and bones of what we have to talk about from a dynasty and how you play the game and, and how you value things. I've said it with every other running back, they're going to go down the rankings because 
you know, when you lose half a season or a full season, that's a significant chunk of, you know, the life span of a, you know, NFL running back that, you know, from your production, 10, 20%, whatever it is that they're missing, you know, that's the, that kind of knocks off their value right away. Now come back into the 2022 season and, you know, I think he'll be again, a number six kind of guy. Um, so he'll probably drop maybe out of my top 10 just because of the fact that you won't be able to use him this year and, and work his way back up as, as he gets healthy. I mean, it, this injury doesn't strike me as something to be extremely concerned about. I, I have seen it sap a few players. It's it's not like it's not a concern, but, you know, the Titans expect him back this year. You know, they're going to the playoffs, at least that's the way it looks like. Henry should be back in that time. Like that's a six to eight week injury or eight to 10, somewhere in that range. And heck fantasy players might even get him back for the fantasy football playoffs. I mean, I'm on a team where that would be, you know, I was worried about an end of the year situation. And if I get him back and I, I can make it into the playoffs, then, you know, no harm, no foul. Derek Henry, you're back in my heart. Thank you for winning me another title. Right. Um, so I, you know, I, I do, you know, the other thing is, you know, I've talked to people who know injuries better than I do, you know, and, and this isn't something that just like, oh, we gave Derrick Henry too much work and, and we broke him down. You know, it just, you play a very physically demanding game and you make a cut at high speed and you're, it just hits the wrong way with the bones in your foot and that stress becomes too much. And you know, a bone breaks and, and you fix it and hopefully it hasn't, you know, doesn't have lingering issues. And and that's kind of what happens when you get old as, as we've all been experiencing. <laughs> so you get older and those injuries linger, but so I think he'll, you know, he'll drop down this year and he'll work his way back up and he'll still probably be a top eight, close to top five, somewhere in that range um, for 2022 and beyond because I still do think he's a spectacular human being, an anomaly. I still think he's got a lot left to give, you know, a lot more, a lot more runs in the NFL for us to get excited about. And then just since we're, we're running long and we got a chance to wax poetically about him last week, uh, Michael Pittman Jr. I, I'm, I'm taking a look at my ranks now. He'll be in the top 20 for sure. Um, he's looking great. Yeah, I mean, and, and that's what I said. Like we, I think we had talked last week about T. Higgins being right around that twenty mark. I think Pittman deserves to be right there next to him. So I think that's that's where he warrants the home stretch of this year and in, and probably into the off season. So there it is, guys. A little bit of a different but interesting uh, NFL draft report for this week. We will continue to maybe mix them in as guys emerge. I know, you know. Uh, Jerome Ford and Zach Charbonnet are two guys that if we do another deep dive, uh, those are two guys that I think right now aren't in the notebook. And I think they potentially could be top 100 picks, potentially, if not early round, uh, early day three. I think Charbonnet and Ford are are putting themselves in the mix in in what's a topsy-turvy running back class. Uh, I don't see any other quarterbacks right now that, that weren't a deep dive, to be honest with you. Uh, that we haven't talked about. Obviously, we can go back and circle back to guys, but in terms of guys that we haven't done a, a lot of analysis on here, 
Uh, but yeah, we'll, we'll mix these in as we, uh, you know, the college football season unwinds, the bowl seasons pick up then and stuff like that. So hopefully you enjoyed the four segments. Again, please get over to the website, SS Football, quickest way to get there. Check out the premium content tab. Check out all that we offer in the premium notebooks. It is the best way to support the show. So on behalf of Matt, on behalf of Jeff, on behalf of our sound tech engineer, David Nakano, and myself, Thank you for joining us, and we look forward next time taking you from Saturday to Sunday.